Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart. Hey, did I get your attention? We're doing something special for the next month. We're going to focus on now business. Like how do you generate income today, right now? My name is Jesse Zagorski. You probably know me as one of the regular hosts here, producer of the Agent Power Huddle. I'm also a broker associate with EXP. And what I keep hearing over and over again is agents that truly need to shift their business. The market shifted, they need to shift and they got to close the deals today. And so whether you're a brand new agent, this series is for you. Experienced agent, this series is for you. It doesn't matter. Agent on a team, team leader, we're going to give you strategies and techniques to figure out how to scale and grow your business to close deals today. Not in the future, not tomorrow, today. This is what we're focusing on all month, the techniques, the strategies you need. So welcome to the Agent Power Hub. Everybody, thanks for joining in. Are you all on? Are you all able to unmute if you need to? I know Cast is unmuted. Um, it's okay with me if you. Oh, it says ask to unmute. Uh, Autumn. Yes. Autumn, can can everybody unmute? They, if they can mute? unmute if they um, want to. Yes. Okay, so if you want to unmute, go ahead. Um, Thanks for thanks for popping in. I should be able to share my screen, right? And that's the screen I want to share. Um, and I see everybody here. Okay, thanks. Hey, if you tuned in, I know that you're here because you're looking for some ideas to uh, get an offer accepted in a competitive situation. Is that correct? Raise your hand if that's if you agree with that. Yes. <laughs> cool. And um, let's see. I. I don't know where everybody's tuning in from. I know Cast is in Florida. Um, if you'd like to unmute and just let me know where you're coming from, I'd appreciate it. Richard, you're where? Yeah, from Seattle too. Ah, hey, I'm a graduate of Seattle University. Oh, oh, cool. I'm almost a graduate from there, only from a different university. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> It's beautiful today. Yeah. Eric? You can unmute if you can. Uh, I'm I'm based out of Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Thank you. Uh, good luck to your chiefs. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Sean, where are you? In Philly? Denver, Colorado. Oh, the Denver I, Broncos. I've forgotten what it's like to have a playoff team. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm bitter. Hey, one of the worst uh, worst days of my life was uh, 1998 when uh, your Denver Broncos beat the Packers in the Super Bowl. God, yeah. that was painful. That was a long well, time coming. It was, and it was a long time ago. Yes, it was. All right, so you're you're tuning in from different parts of the country, and I appreciate it. The uh, what I've got to share with you doesn't matter what offer to purchase you're using. I'm in the state of Wisconsin. I've been licensed in Virginia. I'm familiar with offers to purchase all over the country. And um, one of the things that is that may be different in your state than in mine is to the extent that our, your law allows you to make modifications to purchase agreements. In Wisconsin, we've got more a more liberal uh, ability to make changes to the purchase agreement. And I know, for example, in the state of Illinois, the the required the restrictions are much greater than they are here. Uh, but regardless of where you're at, 
Um, what we're going to be talking about is the offer to purchase and using that purchase agreement to tell a story to the seller of our buyer's ability and commitment to get to closing based on the terms of the offer. Um, because you're here, I'm guessing you've written offers for buyer clients multiple times before they got an offer accepted in the last in the in the most recent markets. Can any of you share with me about how many offers you wrote per client before they got an accepted offer? You can hold fingers up. My experience was in some cases five offers. I met with the person yesterday who told me he believes he wrote eight offers for most clients before they got an offer accepted. And that doesn't, that's that's not because the person doesn't have a strategy or know a strategy that works. I believe that in those cases, it's because not all buyers are willing to accept the suggestions that we have to make their offer more attractive to the seller. So part of what we're gonna talk about is how do we get that buyer to understand earlier in the process of what's necessary to be done to make their offer more attractive. The idea that the market is changing is something that's being spread today. And it may be true that overall, the market may be changing from a seller's market to more of a balanced market, but markets are hyper-local. And if we said, for example, if the expectation was that last year it was hyper-competitive and this year it's not going to be as competitive, it may be true, but it's going to depend on what market that is. And markets change by neighborhood, in, and in blocks within neighborhoods. In our market in Madison, Wisconsin, we have so few homes on the market that anything that comes on the market, is, if it doesn't have 20 buyers like it did last year, it still may attract 10 buyers. So we're still going to see competition. Um, for what I'm gonna present, and this is something I've been teaching uh, to agents for more than 10 years now, is based on, a, on some theory. And to begin with, my theory says that buyers and sellers have competing objectives. And you can agree with this. Tell me if you do or don't. Seller's objective is always to get an offer with low risk and high reward. So I want to get an accepted offer that is going to go from acceptance to closing with the least amount of risk and the highest reward, the highest return. Well, buyers have a similar objective and it looks like this. I want low risk and high reward. I wanna be able to get an accepted offer, but buyers aren't committed to closing when they write an offer. When they write an offer, the objective typically is, I wanna get my offer accepted. And once I've got my offer accepted, I want to be able to do my due diligence and decide later on what terms I want to close. Well, the offer to purchase is the perfect 
tool for buyers. Offers to purchase are designed, no matter what state we're in, they're designed to protect the buyer from closing on the terms of the accepted agreement. That's my assertion. I believe, and from having been involved in the in the forms committees that make that design offers to purchase, that the way these offers to purchase are created is from by committee. And everybody who's involved in this committee has some idea of something that should be in the offer to purchase based on some experience that they've had to protect a buyer from having to close on the terms that they've agreed. Let me show you something. Uh, this is an offer to purchase from San Diego from 1976. Somebody in San Diego sent this to me after participating in one of the uh, learning sessions that I did on a similar topic. In 1976, the San Diego offer to purchase was a one-page document. Uh, it says real estate purchase contract. Uh, probably attorneys would take a look at this and say it's anything but a contract. But this is all it took. In 1976, this is what we were dealing with. Today, Today. let's see if I back this out. In the state of California, the offer to purchase is a 16-page document. So it, at one time, a real estate agent would draft a one-page document that basically said, you're asking $500,000 for this, this house. I will give you $500,000 and we will close on this date. That's like a handshake. That's as good as it gets. That's what a seller is looking for. I want $500,000. You'll give me $500,000. You'll show up on this date and you'll give me the money and I'll give you the keys. Well, we've moved away from that. We've moved on to a document that is much more complex and much more detailed, which gives the buyer every opportunity to say, I'll give you this amount of money and I'll meet you at closing on this date. But before I go there, I'm going to check this, this, and this other thing. And if all these things still check out, I'll show up. Well, when the markets change, now that can work. That can work in a balanced market and it certainly can work in a buyer's market but it doesn't work well in a seller's market. So I contend that the, the problem that we have, the problem that we face is we're working with purchase agreements that are carved in stone. And those forms, if all we're doing is filling in the blanks and checking the boxes, those forms are inflexible to a changing market. So what gives, we're a, we're a real estate agent can gain an advantage over the competition is to become an expert at understanding their offer to purchase. As we go through an offer to purchase, as you, you can take your offer to purchase in your state and go through it line by line, and you'll start to uncover and discover the high risk conditions that when looked at from a 
seller's perspective are things that a seller, given an option, isn't going to agree to accept. Offer documents, as we had said, are designed to favor the buyer. The conditions that favor the buyer are high-risk conditions for the seller. All contingencies are designed to be escape clauses. If you work with the VA offers or FHA offers, they actually have, they, they actually call the appraisal contingency an escape clause. This is, and that's exactly what that is as the way it's written. And it's the same thing with other contingencies. Contingencies are escape clauses. And I'm going to just take a look at one. Here's a, this is, this happens to be a Wisconsin offer to purchase, but it doesn't matter if you're in Wisconsin or, or what state you're in, you've got something similar to this. On this page alone, there are a couple of escape clauses. The first one is what's called an inspection contingency. This, this inspection contingency specifies that the inspection has to be done by a, a licensed home inspector, and it, it, it explains what an inspection is compared to what, a te what testing is. If we go down further, the way this offer can be written would, take a look at line 216, the buyer could give the seller the right to cure conditions that they discovered, or they could write this offer and not give the seller the opportunity to cure. And if a agent writes this, writes this offer without giving the seller the opportunity to cure, the seller's not going to accept this offer if they've got another option. So for example, if you had something like this in your, in, in your um, offer to purchase, a way to improve if a buyer is going to be able to get an offer accepted with an inspection contingency, at least giving the seller the opportunity to cure is one advantage that's going to make your offer more attractive to the seller. Here's another one. I want to take a moment to talk about this because... Quick question. Are you loving this podcast? We record it live Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific on Zoom. Want to join us live? Go to agentpowerhuddle.com. Next month, we're changing the format to only release two podcast episodes per week. So if you still want the replays of the daily version, you'll need to start going to our website, agentpowerhuddle.com to hear every episode. All right, back to the show. In the Wisconsin offer to purchase, and I don't know if, if every state has, has one, but every state probably, and, and every brokerage probably has a, a contingency addenda where you can pick and choose which contingencies that you'd like to include. Well, contingency addenda are like are like uh, taking a taking a person through a uh, all you can eat buffet. Everything looks good, and in presenting a contingency addenda to a buyer, would you like to have this contingency? Would you like to have that contingency? Would you like to have that contingency? Given presenting those options to somebody is going to be like like taking them through a buffet. Yes, I want that. Yes, I want that. That looks good. I want to talk about this radon testing contingency. In our state, this contingency did not exist in the offer to purchase prior to 2011. But when we went through the recession and the market crashed and it's flipped to a buyer's market, 
sellers didn't have choices and buyers could get any contingency they wanted put into an offer. And one of the contingencies that somebody thought was a good idea was let's put in a rate on testing contingency so that everybody who writes an offer on a property can, if they want to, put in a contingency to test for radon. Well, as the market changed here, agents who had been checking this box and including this contingency for their clients for, for a number of years, continued to check this box and include this contingency. Well, we took a look at this and said, well, wait, why are we testing for radon? And people said, well, because radon causes cancer and cancer is bad. And I wanna protect my buyer client from things that could harm them. So I recommend to everybody that they include this radon testing contingency. Well, I had this conversation with a group of agents and one of the agents said, look, I had cancer and cancer is very serious. I would never let my buyers write an offer without a radon testing contingency. Well, let's take a look at what a radon testing contingency and offer in a real estate transaction looks like. Well, it allows to test the property for a radon level and that test probably lasts for a couple of days. And as we know about radon is radon levels fluctuate, right? So if I'm gonna do a test and I'm gonna find out what the radon level is in my house over a period of two days and I find out that the radon level is less than 4.0 picocuries per liter, and therefore it meets the, uh, it, it comes below the, the, the standard level uh, to take action. I go, okay, I'm not going to put in a radon mitigation system. Well, is that a wise idea to make a decision to not put in a radon mitigation system based on a two-day test when I'm gonna live there for multiple years, right? Well, a radon test, might cost $200. Check in your market, you guys can tell me, y'all can tell me what it what the radon mitigation systems cost in your market, but around here you can put in, you can have a, a custom design mitigation system for about $800, let's say 1100, let's say it's $1200. A $1200 system is going to provide a guarantee that the mitigation that the property is mitigated from radon uh, 100% of the time, it's going. the test would come in below 4.0 picocuries. So does it make sense to put in a contingency that a seller may say, I'm not going to deal with this, um, to protect a person from having to spend $1,200? Because you're not protecting them from the, from the, uh, uh, the, um, from having radon uh, in the house, there's going to be a certain level of radon. But if you want to protect a person from being exposed to radon, the radon testing contingency doesn't do that. The radon testing contingency only brings into play who's going to pay for that system. Okay. So one of the easiest things to eliminate to make an offer more attractive is for a buyer to not include a testing contingency for radon, but just to take the take the approach that regardless of what my radon level is, it'll cost me $1,200 or less to put in a mitigation system. And that's something that I probably should have in my house. Does that make sense? Is that that type of a contingency is high risk for the seller because it gives the 
buyer the opportunity to come back and renegotiate, it's not high risk in that it's going to break the deal, depending on how the contingency is written, but it's high risk in that it's one more thing that a seller has to be concerned about uh, getting past and whether or not that's going to bring the buyer back to uh, renegotiate that contingency or other contingencies. I want to also take a moment. We all have seen accelerator clauses or escalation clauses. Here's one that that was created by uh, a company in our market. Uh, escalation clauses, we didn't see much of escalation clauses until the market um, till the market became a, a hyper seller market. But this escalation clauses differ greatly depending on who prepared who wrote the escalation clause. But I contend that we don't really understand what they say unless we actually go through them and dissect them and read them line by line. Let's take a look at this one. Here's a contingency that a buyer could include in, into an offer to purchase with this specific company. This accelerator clause is part of the offer dated March 25th, okay? So the offer is dated March 25th, and here's what it says. If the seller currently possesses a bona fide offer from a third party to purchase the property or receives a new offer prior to midnight, March 25th, okay? So if this offer is being presented on March 26th, this contingency says the buyer is only going to be competing against offers that the seller has received prior to March 25th. Well, it may be March 26th, March 27th before they're looking at offers. Including this offer would make it highly unlikely that a seller is going to negotiate with this buyer because if they've got offers to, to purchase for dated March 26th, March 27th, this contingency eliminates this offer from being in competition with any other offer, right? In addition, this contingency says that if they have, if the seller possesses an offer with a net price equal to or greater than 349.9, and let's assume that the offer to purchase, this offer to purchase has a has an offer to purchase price of 349.9, this the buyer, this buyer isn't telling the seller they'll negotiate they'll beat any other offer. They're saying they'll only beat other offers that have a net price equal to 349. So how do you determine net price? Well, you jump down here and this convoluted explanation says, here's how we're going to decide what the net price of that other offer is. So if this was a escalation clause option that an agent has to present to give to their buyer, this, this escalation clause will probably eliminate that buyer's offer from being considered because it's so convoluted and it isn't competing against my purchase price against your purchase price. It's my purchase price against your net, okay? So by understanding, in this case, it would be if I'm the 
buyer agent, I need to understand what this contingency says so that I can help my buyer client understand if they want to include this. And this would be a contingency that I would hope I'd be able to present to a buyer and say, and show them this. And they'd understand that if I include this contingency in my offer, the chances of my offer being considered become slim to none. Because who's going to understand this? And if you and by understanding it, you can clearly see that this buyer isn't attempting to compete with a, another purchase price. They're content, they're proposing to compete with a net of another offer. So first idea is knowing that offer to purchase. I believe that every one of us can become contract experts by understanding and reading through our contracts and learning them line by line and identifying the trips and the traps that are put into the offer so that we can show our buyer clients. If we modify this, we can make our offer more attractive to the seller because that's the objective. If my objective is to get my offer accepted, my offer has to be more attractive to the seller and I can make my offer more attractive by outbidding everybody on price. But if I can't do that, I've got to have another op opportunity. And my other opportunity is to make my offer safer, more secure for the seller so that the seller can rest assured that if I accept this offer, I'm going to closing. So knowing our buyer, knowing our buyer is our idea number two. Risk tolerance is relative to our knowledge. Not every buyer looks at every situation and sees the same risk. For example, if I was a buyer and I did not, I was not assured that I could make up the difference in a between the purchase price and an appraised value or make up the difference in order to uh, get my financing can. Uh, my financing approved, I might have, I might be very risk averse to including a condition where I'm uh, offering to pay more money. But if you are a person who is willing to pay more money than the property is worth, you don't you're not you don't have the same concern as me so protection that i might need in an offer to purchase might not be the same protection that you need you could you may be able to go without that if you come from a background of construction you may not be concerned about certain things that would come up in an inspection so you might not need certain provisions in an inspection to prepare you to prevent to protect you from having to make some certain repairs. On the other hand, I might not have that experience and I might need that kind of extra protection. So knowing the ability of our buyers gives us the ability the opportunity to present to them different options. Financial ability is relative to their knowledge of what options are available to them. And I'm going to give you, just show you, um, you know, a quick example. Here's a finance. This is a financing contingency. It's not even a contingency to get financing. It's a contingency um, to get uh, 
a financing commitment letter. Excuse me. I've, so our let me let me back up on that. In our offer to purchase, we have what's called a um, financing commitment contingency. It's not a contingency to get the financing. It's a contingency to get a commitment letter. Well, forever we had been writing offers that said um, the buyer will provide a letter from a lender that says, based on the information received but not yet verified, it looks like the buyer is able to get the financing. Well. Because the, as the market changed, lenders got wise and they started providing uh, a more serious commitment letter right from the get-go. I guess you can't read this as well as I thought you could. But this one, this, this letter, this is a commitment letter that was provided prior to the buyer submitting the offer. And it flat out says that they've already been approved for underwriting and they're approved to purchase uh, up to a million dollars. This is a totally different kind of commitment letter or a pre-approval letter than it had been provided multiple years ago. But because the market changed, lenders started to adjust. And so one way of putting a buyer in a better position is finding lenders who are willing to make this kind of a commitment up front. So the third idea and we're about ready to wrap this up. But the third idea is that we prepare our clients to win. Simply put, the first time a buyer sees an offer to purchase shouldn't be when it's ready for them to sign. One of the differences that we can do today, getting the buyer ready to go into a competitive market would be like getting a person ready to take them on a, on a hike up a mountain. They need to know what's lying ahead. They need to know the, the challenges that are ahead of them. They need to know the struggles that they're going to come, uh, that they're going to face. Needing to know how we can help them navigate through a difficult course. So when we first meet with a buyer, taking the time, setting up a system where we're going to review the offer to purchase so they understand what's in this offer to purchase and they understand what the conditions are and which contingencies they may be able to include and which contingencies are high risk and getting to the point where they understand that this contingency might be, I might be able to use in some markets, but I may not be able to use in competitive situations. So at that point, they can decide ahead of time that I don't need to include this in my offer because I want to be, I want my offer to be read by the seller to tell the seller that, hey, this, me, I am more committed, I'm more prepared and I'm willing to make this offer and show up for closing on time without renegotiating. That's the story that the offer to purchase can tell. Uh, just on the, on the flip side, an offer to purchase that's loaded with contingencies tells a seller this person isn't committed to close. This person isn't the best buyer for me to go into business with. <clears throat> the other idea of preparing a client to win is to make sure that they get together with the lender before starting to look at any homes. Now that doesn't seem like such a, a wild idea and it seems like it could be fairly uh, easy practice, but still 
we tend not to do that. We start the process with going out, looking at houses, and then the person finally gets together with the lender and gets pre-approved. If we do this ahead of time, get that person into the lender and get them to the point where they've got a solid commitment letter up front, they can include that in their offer to purchase and, and be prepared rather than be scrambling for this and submitting an offer and saying, hey, we'll get back to the, we'll get, we'll get you the letter later. Wrapping up, these are a couple of assertions that I have. The most acceptable offer is the offer that's going to be the safest for the seller. The most attractive buyer is the buyer who's most committed to close. And we do know that most accepted offers still go to the person who offers the highest price, but that's not always. Sometimes the person who gets the accepted offer isn't the one who makes the offer with the highest price. And we need to be ready and be prepared so that when that opportunity pre presents itself, we have the ability and our client is ready to make the offer that's the safest offers. Three things to keep in mind. Most offers are rejected because they're unacceptable as they're written. And there's three, there's three reasons that offers tend to be unacceptable. One is the price is unreasonable, we know that. And secondly, contingencies are high risk in the mind of the seller. The third is just simple drafting errors. There was a time when we could submit an offer and if a mistake was made, the other, the other agent may clean it up in a counter offer. That does, we don't get that opportunity to get our offers cleaned up. Drafting errors can be as simple as something as not checking a box that needed to be checked, not filling in a blank that needed to be filled in. Um, ambiguous contingencies, ambiguous terms that make an offer um, unenforceable is a typical drafting error made by writing contingencies that don't make any sense or people can't, we can't read it and clearly understand what the expectations are. One of the simplest things that we can do is to have another set of eyes take a look at our offer to purchase before submitting it. And I don't mean running it by a manager to get it approved, but just somebody, one other person taking a scan through the offer to see that we haven't omitted anything, that we haven't um, uh, made any simple mistakes. You've all had experience writing offers. You've all been in competitive situations. Are there any ideas that anybody else has that they want to share that they've found to be effective for them? Last slide I'm going to put up. Anybody, uh, anybody who has um, some ideas, some things that they'd like to talk about, you're always welcome to give me a call. You can text me. Uh, be happy to go through your offer with you and see if we can find some ideas in your offer to purchase where we can give you an opportunity to strengthen your buyer's position.
anything anybody wants me to go back over? Well, then I'm going to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you picked up an idea or two in here that can help you. Um, and again, feel free to give me a call back or send me a text if there's anything that you'd like to discuss. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Take, Take care. care. You too. Thanks. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.